This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our task this evening is to uncover the most profound fact which a great deal of human beings, their governments, their intellectuals, has spent a great deal of time and energy to cover. And that is the life of a man and his mission. A man whose name was Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. May the peace and the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon him. And may he be immune from the claiming of any faults or distortions regarding his person. It is not our attempt in discussing this issue to merely convince the world of the accomplishments of a person. For if we only had to discuss his accomplishments, then we would be comparing him with other human beings and their accomplishments. And even though his accomplishments far exceed whomsoever we might compare him to, it is the man and his message that is the most profound and that is the most important. Because it is the man and his message, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that contributed to his greatness and resulted in those accomplishments. Now when we discuss the greatness of an individual, we need not simply measure the extent of his influence, but we need to discuss and understand and quantify the actual qualities that contribute to that realm of influence. A simple examination of Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, that uneducated shepherd, that prophet and messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, That husband, that father, that friend, that statesman, that warrior, that merchant, that simple person, 
that neighbor that individual who received without any ambition of his own revelation from the Most High and carried that revelation and that responsibility when such a revelation could never have been received if it had come down upon a mountain. And the Quran, a revelation, an inspiration, and a legislation from the Most High has made that statement. It said, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نذربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون The translation of which we can generally give had this Quran descended upon a mountain you would have seen this mountain crumbling falling apart from the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And such are the similitudes that we strike for you in order that you may give reflection to it. This tamthil, this example, which the Qur'an gives is telling us that the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was so powerful as it came down that like a laser beam which is used to make holes into mountains and like the sonar beam which is used to destroy mountains. When this revelation came down, it had such power and more. But the Most High prepared the heart of Muhammad so it was able to receive it. The only such heart that we could imagine could receive such power. That man and his message is unparalleled and categorically more profound than any other human being in the entire documented history of the human race. It is truly tragic that many human beings
have been deprived of that legacy. Our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is both a gift and a mercy to mankind. He was sent solely for the purpose of perfecting good morals. He said, verily I have been sent to perfect good manners. His morals, his character, was a personification of the Qur'an itself. And this is how the Qur'an has been preserved, not just by the memorization, but by the personification of it. So that this Qur'an, unlike any other revelation, it has been memorized in the life of Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and it has been personified and documented by the billions of human beings who have followed him since. The message of the Prophet ﷺ is the detailed record and evidence for all human beings to see. We would ask the question, how is it if this is a fact, how is it that this life of the Prophet ﷺ have been held back, has been covered, has been hidden, and is not evident to the entire world? There are many reasons. On the part of the unbelievers, they are intellectuals, they are religious leaders, they are skeptics, they are conspirators, those who have hated and opposed the monotheistic message ever since Ibrahim salam. They have done everything and spent everything to kill to maim, to distort, to cover, to eliminate, to confuse this message. And they have been consistent in doing so. But on the part of the Muslims, we also have done our share in covering this great treasure. We Muslims acquiesced to foreign colonization. We accepted the domination and the colonization 
of the non-Muslims. We accepted the following of puppet governments and tyrants given to us, handpicked for us, for the last 500 years. We Muslims contributed with complicity, blatantly, in the open, we conspired with the unbelievers to destroy the Khilafah. And our leaders signed the Charter of the United Nations, or that time the League of Nations. Our leaders, they signed and they are loyal to it today, they will never bring the Khilafah back. We Muslims, we have failed to do our share to show progress and development which is associated with the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We Muslims have taken a seat in the far back of civilization, so much so that at one time the Muslims set the benchmark, the Muslims set the standard the Muslims were the forerunners. The Muslims were the pioneers in every given science in the world. But today, the Muslims have the back seat. They are the following nations. They are the imitators. They are the wannabes. Even today, Muslims do not even own or control their own natural resources. And today, Muslims prefer to wear designer clothes. Muslims choose to change their names. Muslims choose to allow foreign governments to rule them, manipulate them, control their currency. And Muslims choose to whisper when they speak about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Muslims and their children stand up and respect and salute and clap and sing and dance at the tune of the Kafirs. But when it comes to the Sunnah, we argue. We shuffle. We scratch our heads. And we seem to be confused. What is the Sunnah? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said to us, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا تَقُوا اللَّهِ وَالْتَنْذُرْ 
نفسهم ما قدمت لغد واتقوا الله إن الله خبير بما تعملون ولا تكونوا كالذين نسوا الله فأنساهم أنفسهم أولئك هم الفاسكون He predicted and warned us O oh you who believe Fear Allah Be mindful of Allah And know that Allah is khabir he is aware of the most subtle things and the secrets that you can conceal and that which you do and do not be like those people who forgot about Allah so that Allah caused them to forget their own selves and this is what has happened to us Muslims we didn't forget the 99 attributes of Allah We put them up on the walls of our masjids. We wear ayatul kursi around our necks. We put the attributes of Allah up on our mantelpieces in our living rooms. Most of us, we have five or six different kinds of Qur'ans that we look at only we look at so we didn't forget the name of Allah we didn't forget the name of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam because all of us all of our names are Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam we are all Ahmed Mahmud Hamid Muhammad Abdul Hamid The non-Muslims they call us Muhammadans because of our insistence upon Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam although unlike those people that chose to call themselves Christians we are not Muhammadans We simply love Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and follow Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his life is stamped upon our hearts but we have forgotten about his sunnah As a result of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said we have forgotten our own identities our own legacy has been lost But alhamdulillah until our eyes close and the dust fills our mouths we have the chance to revive his sunnah we have the chance to revive the word and the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we have a chance to uncover the treasure so the whole world can see using the fiber optics using the multimedia using all the tools Allah has given us today to show who is Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam who is that man and what is his message the question is
How do we measure greatness? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَإِنَّكَ عَلَىٰ خُلُقِ الْعَظِيمِ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, verily, you have been created and sent upon a high standard of character. This means, if the Almighty said it, there should not be another character whose standard can be compared to that of Muhammad We only have to search through the pages of history and we will find there's not another human being whose character can compare with that of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never drank alcohol throughout his life although alcohol drinking was just as common in that day as it is today. The Prophet ﷺ never used any kind of intoxicant. And although the drugs that are used today were not known in his time, they had their own types of drugs. The Prophet ﷺ before he was commissioned as a prophet and messenger, he never touched alcohol or drugs. He never committed fornication or adultery. In fact, he وسلم, never looked upon a naked woman ever in his life. He never looked upon any woman with lust in his entire life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him, protected his eyes, protected his spirit, and protected his morals. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never stole, touched, any property that was not his own. He never abused anyone's property. In fact, while he was being attacked, while his followers were being killed and tortured, and even while he knew that some of his countrymen were conspiring to murder him. At that very time, the Prophet was holding a trust in his home, a trust they had given to him, a trust of money, a trust of values, valuables that they had given to him because in Mecca, where he was born, he was known as Al-Amin. 
the most trustworthy. And Al-Amin, even though his enemies had stole from his followers, killed his followers, tortured his followers, confiscated their properties, he could have done what others do in warfare. He could have then confiscated their wealth that he was holding. But when they entered his home to kill him, they did not find him there. Instead, they found his cousin Ali, radiallahu an. And he left Ali in his house when he escaped for only one reason. So that Ali, radiallahu an, could give back to them the valuables, the money that they had entrusted with him years ago. Can you imagine a man who is hated for his message, opposed for his message, sought to be killed, yet those people who hated the message and sought to kill him, they never thought to come and say, give us back our money. Because still they trusted him. Because they knew there was no one with more trust in Mecca than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, never in his life did he ever lift his hand to hit any human being, ever. Not a servant, not a wife, not a child, not a friend, nor an enemy, except when that enemy was opposing Allah and opposing the message. Then the Prophet ﷺ turned into a tiger, into a lion, and he executed the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in defending this faith. And he transformed from someone that the companions and the people said, Muhammad ﷺ, he was as gentle, he was as shy as a virgin on her wedding night, hiding behind a curtain. He was that kind of man. He was that pious. He was that shy. He was that gentle in his speech. Yet, it was said that when the Prophet ﷺ was met on a battlefield, he was ferocious in defending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to look for him on the battlefield, they said, Wallahi, we found him in the middle of the enemies fighting. And they said, we used to seek the protection of his person. We used to hide behind the Prophet ﷺ on the battlefield. He was such a warrior and statesman on the battlefield, commanding and fighting for the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But once he was off the battlefield, his eyes were downcast and he was speaking softly. And he was gentle and he was warm and he was 
sacred and soft and caring and crying because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned وَمَا أَرْسَرْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةٍ لِلْعَالَمِينَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you have been sent as a mercy to the whole world. So he was a mercy even to those people who are ignorant of him, they are benefiting from that mercy. He was a mercy even to those that opposed him. So that when he had the chance, when he had the chance for revenge, when he had a chance for reprisals, the Prophet never took revenge, he never took reprisals. Because he was rahmatul lil alameen. The Prophet he always paid his debts. And even when a Jew came to the Prophet ﷺ abusing him, telling him, Oh Muhammad, give me my money which you owe to me. Shouting at him, abusing him in his masjid, in the company of his companions. One of those companions, they stood up to kill him. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, you sit down. The man that we owe has the right to abuse and not to be harmed. He didn't say that man was right in his abuse. He said that because the Prophet owed him, that debt was more right than our right to defend against abuse. Look at the way the Prophet ﷺ, his principle, his character. And when a Bedouin came to the Prophet ﷺ, demanding that the Prophet ﷺ give him some share in the zakat, the charity, and that man came to the Prophet ﷺ, grabbing his coat like this, saying, give to me my share until a mark was made on the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. And his companions also wanted to kill that man. The Prophet ﷺ told them, leave him. Leave him. And the Prophet ﷺ, he smiled. He said, what do you want? The man said, give me. And the Prophet continued to give him until he said, I have enough. And that man left. This was the manner of the Prophet ﷺ. His tolerance, his mercy, his patience, his integrity. The Prophet ﷺ always preferred his neighbors and his guests. The first order that he gave his companions when they entered Medina, when they made the hijrah, he told them, he didn't say, knock on the doors and tell the people I'm here. He didn't say, announce I am the ruler. He didn't say, go and talk to them about Islam. He didn't say, go and say, the Muslims are here. We are strong. This is our city. No, he told them, 
تطعم الطعام وتقرأ السلام من عرفت ومن لم تعرف He says spread the food give food and give the greetings من عرفت whom you know ومن لم تعرف whom you don't know This is what he said to do And so the Muslims went out from him, taking their food, whatever they had, sharing it with the neighbors, talking to them, greeting them, intermingling with them, sitting with them, accepting their invitations, getting to know them, showing them, sharing with them, exposing them to the character, to the manner, of the Prophet And so within a few months, the whole of Medina was at the feet of the Prophet accepting him to be the arbiter of that city, giving to him the keys of Medina, even though some of them still secretly resisted him, and even though some of them secretly hated his message, still they gave him the keys because they had no defense against a man with this kind of character. The Prophet ﷺ never, he never wore silk, he never wore gold, he never dressed arrogantly, he never dressed ostentatiously, he never walked proud, arrogant, He never appeared in front of people like he was a king or an emperor, even when he was the absolute ruler. One could enter a hall like this, and the Prophet ﷺ could be sitting among his companions. As you are sitting, and it was common for people to look around and want to think, He should be sitting up someplace in a chair on a throne like other leaders. He should be wearing some gown of gold. He should be wearing some kind of crown. He should be a man with people around him serving him. But when they came in and they looked around, it was a common question. Who is Muhammad? Where is he? No one could tell who was the Prophet among his followers. Because his clothes and what he ate and where he chose to sit was never different from the other people. You tell me, name one leader in the world that could compare with that. Any one of us, if we just get a raise on our jobs and they give us a little office, we get a big chair. If we make some money, we want a big house, we want a big car, and don't make one of us a ruler, we want some servants, some slaves, and we want a whole gang of people to defend us. Not the Prophet ﷺ. His dignity came from Allah, and his distinction came from the revelation itself. The Prophet ﷺ never lied. He never lied to his enemies. And he said, the only deception 
that we have a right to do is doing war. He said war is deception. But it didn't mean lying to his enemy. No, it meant not giving the enemy information that could be used logistically against us. But the Prophet ﷺ never lied. He never deceived. Jazakumullah khairan. He never lied. He never deceived. The Prophet ﷺ never lied to anyone. He was Sadiqul Masduq. Sadiqul Masduq. The most truthful of anyone that spoke the truth. He never deceived anyone. On one occasion, there was a man who apostatized. That means he broke his loyalty with the Prophet ﷺ. And he left the Muslims. And then he began to insult the Prophet ﷺ. He began to abuse the Prophet ﷺ from a distance. And after the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, that man was ashamed. He was afraid. So he came and he hid in the house of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu an, because Uthman was one of his tribesmen and it was common automatically a man could come and hide with me because he is my client and so Uthman brought that man to the Prophet to take his oath to apologize to ask for forgiveness to be reinstated and the Prophet ﷺ refused twice. He said, no. No, I don't accept from him. And when the man pleaded, finally the Prophet ﷺ, being true to his character, said, okay, I accept, go. And when that man left, the Prophet ﷺ said to his companions, why did not one of you when I refused, why didn't one of you get up and chop his head off? Why didn't one of you get up when I refused and kill him as he was worthy to be killed? They said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, وسلم, you did not give us any signal. He said, a prophet never makes those kinds of signs. He is not secret. He doesn't wink or give somebody some signs. He is not like that. A prophet is open and direct. This shows that that man, by right, by law, could have been killed, but the prophet saw some, he left it up to the execution of his followers. But they waited for his signal, and he gave them no signal. Then the prophet let that man go. And when he let him go, he made it plain to everyone, you must treat him as anyone else amongst us. This is the manner of the Prophet ﷺ. He never acquired any possessions for himself.
it was related by Aisha radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet wasallam. She said, verily when the Prophet wasallam passed away, he left no dinaran, no diraham. It means he left no dollar, he left no pound, he left no currency, he left no money. The only thing that he left was a white mule that he used to ride on, a coat of armor that he used to wear, a cloth that he used to cover himself with, and a bowl that he used to eat from. And he said, give this to the Ibn Sabil. Give this to a wayfarer. So the Prophet ﷺ, he did not die owning property to be distributed to his family and his relatives because he said, verily, a prophet has no inheritance. Subhanallah. And when the Prophet ﷺ was on his deathbed, he was dying. He was in the house of Aisha radiallahu anha. And he would pass out and come back to consciousness. And he would pass out and come back to consciousness. And on one occasion, he came back to consciousness and he asked Aisha, Oh Aisha, is there anything in our house of value? She said, Ya Rasulullah, I have a few dinarans or dirahams. I have a few dollars. I have a few pounds. I have a few coins. The Prophet said, give them away. Give it away. She was silent. And he passed out. He passed out. He went unconscious again. And Aisha, a mother, Aisha, a wife of the Prophet a mother of the believers, a woman, she thought like a woman. Maybe I should hold that money. It's just a small amount of money. If something happens, I will have something. And when the Prophet became conscious again, the first thing he said, Oh Aisha, what did you do with that money? She said, Ya Rasulullah, Wallahi, I was holding it because I was afraid if something should happen. He said, Oh Aisha, what will Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do? What will he do? If he dies and he leaves this world, leaving some property. So, oh Aisha, give it away, please give it. Yet he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the best of you is those who are best to his family, to his wives. And I am the best of you to his family. Evidently, he didn't mean the best of you is he who leaves the most money to them. Because he didn't leave anything. He left it upon the Muslims to take care of their mothers. Because his wives, they were, his, they were the mothers of the believers. And when one 
of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ came to Abu Bakr and said, Ya Abu Bakr, you should give to us an allowance from the Bayt al-Mal. The Prophet ﷺ have passed away and we are his wives. You should give to us an allowance. Abu Bakr said, No, you have no right to any allowance from the Bayt al-Mal. This is the money of the Muslims. But you are our mothers, and we will take care of our mothers. O Muslims, O non-Muslims, think about this kind of man. Have you heard of such a man? Have you ever seen such a man? Have you read about such a man? Never. You cannot even imagine this kind of man. He never abused his family. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, Ibn Abbas radiallahu an, Abu Huraira radiallahu an, all of those, Zayd ibn Harith radiallahu an, all of those who served the Prophet wasalam, who served him, they said in his entire life, he never said to us, oof. When we did something, he never said, oof. No, he always was gentle. And he was always generous. And when someone asked him for something, he gave everything to them, never caring about himself. And the Prophet ﷺ, he used to sleep on a mat, like that mat on the floor. Only thing it was made from palm fiber, from dried grass. And that's how he slept, on a dirt floor, with no furniture in his house. And one day, Umar ibn al-Khattab, entered the house of the Prophet ﷺ and saw that he was sleeping on the dirt floor. And Umar, he said, Ya Rasulullah, the kings, the emperors in the earth, in Persia, in Byzantium, in Habash, all over the world, these kings, they are not like you. Oh Rasulullah, you can have better than this. And the Prophet dismissed him and said, they have what they have been given, and I have what I have been given. Raditu billahi rabba. I am pleased with what Allah has given to me, and any one of you that says, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبَّا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا وَبِمُحَمَّدَ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ نَبِيًّا Allah will also be pleased with you. And one morning when the Prophet ﷺ woke up, and his back had marks in it from that dry mat that he used to lay down on, his wife, she said, Tonight, I will make him more comfortable. So she doubled it for him. And when the Prophet ﷺ slept that night, he overslept for the prayer in the morning.
And he said, what happened? She said, Ya Rasulullah, I made the mat a little bit softer for you. He said, don't do it. You disturbed my morning prayer. This was the man. Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet always defended the weak and the poor, even when he was a, when he was a young boy. He joined a pact in Mecca called Hilfa Fulul, a party of people pledging themselves to do defense for the poor, for the weak, for the sick, for the elderly. He joined that pact. So he was doing social work when he was a young boy, like one of these young boys sitting in front of us. Yet he was not a prophet or a messenger at that time. This was the man. A man that received revelation. A man that received inspiration directly from the Almighty. Through that great spirit called Jibreel, alayhi salam. That revelation and that inspiration from the Almighty which has become an everlasting legislation for the world. There are four major compartments of his greatness that we can look at and that we can compare him with anyone else because he was not a mythological figure. He was not an abstract figure. He was not a personality that perhaps he didn't really exist. No, his life has been documented in detail by both Muslims and non-Muslims. Those who loved him and those that resisted him, still they documented in detail. And there's no human being's life that has been documented in detail personal and private, public, an open book for the world to see, to be examined, like the life of the Prophet The Messenger of Allah He surpassed all of the human beings in his psychological and moral qualities. And secondly, he surpassed all of the human beings in his nobility and worth of the fundamental values. And thirdly, no human being was able to realize his vision. No prophet, no king, no emperor, no messenger, no human being was able to realize in his own life that which his life was set out to fulfill. No one realized it to the extent of the Prophet ﷺ. And fourthly, the Prophet ﷺ was the only human being that educated a whole generation to follow him, to walk in his footsteps, 
to preserve his sunnah, his tradition, to preserve the message that he had been given, and to establish a government to resist all other governments and to carry his word and to carry that legislation and to carry that inspiration throughout the world all the way until this day that we are living in today one quarter of the whole world one quarter of the entire world are filled with people who every day they say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama salaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alamin innaka hamidun majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alamin innaka hamidun majid and Allah he said in the revelation he gave to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Inna Allahu wa malaikatuhu yusalluna ala al-nabi. Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. And we, today, we answer that. Allah say, oh you who believe. Allah, Azza wa Jal, and His angels, wherever they are, they send a special salutation and immunity upon the Prophet ﷺ. Oh, you who believe, you too, sin salah upon him with reverence and gratitude. So we Muslims, we say, Allahumma salli ala sayyidin wa nabiyyin wa habibina Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so one quarter of the human beings are saying, Oh Allah, Bless and exalt Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as you have blessed Ibrahim and his followers. Exalt Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his followers as you have exalted Ibrahim and his followers. Verily, you are praiseworthy and you are glorious. One quarter of the human beings, one out of every four human beings are Muslims. Whether they are weak Muslims or strong Muslims, white Muslims or black Muslims, yellow Muslims or red Muslims, female or male Muslims, young or old Muslims, powerful or weak Muslims, Muslims of the weak of the West or the East, Muslims in China, Muslims in Australia, Muslims in America, Muslims in Afghanistan, Muslims in Iceland, Muslims in the North Pole, Muslims in Scandinavia, Muslims in Puerto Rico, Muslims every place. And if there's a place in the ocean where humans are at, there are Muslims there. And if there is a place in the, on the moon where, Muslim, where humans are at, there's a Muslim there too. And I understand that there are 58 astronauts that are at the space station every day. And I wish Allah would let, give me a ticket to go there. <laughs> I wish some of us, we could take a ticket to go to the space station. And we'll give dawah out in space. And we'll come back, inshallah. Some of them would become allies 
and a few of them would also become Muslims. So we could say there are some Muslims on the space station too. Oh Muslims, our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa combined in a single personality the highest degree of spirituality through diligent worship. This was a man. This was a man receiving over the period of 23 years on a daily basis. Intermittently, he was receiving the 6,626 verses of the Quran over a period of 23 years. Receiving the revelation and when it came, they said, his body shook. His body shook. And if someone's hand or leg was under his, it felt as if their hand or their leg was being crushed from the revelation coming down. And the Prophet sweated and his body shivered. So that the fools among the unbelievers said he had epilepsy. Because they could not explain what was happening to this man. I told you earlier that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, had he set this Quran down on a mountain, it would have crushed a mountain. So what do you think it would have done to the heart of a human being? But Allah prepared the Prophet as a vessel for it. But when the revelation came down, they could see it. Yet the Prophet ﷺ was also during the course of that day, feeding the poor, visiting the sick, discharging the army, acting as a statesman, acting as an arbiter, talking to the people, addressing the women, giving out the zakah, sewing his clothes, washing his house, shopping for the food, doing all the things that you and I do, and at night, standing in prayer for four or five hours at a time. And in the day, fighting the battles, discharging the armies, giving the ahkam and the rulings, explaining the Quran, instructing the people in behavior, how could a man do all of that and stand four or five hours at night at one time? What kind of human being could that be? It was a messenger. It was a prophet. This was a man with a message. The Prophet wasallam, on one occasion he went to a place called Ta'if to give his message to those people. Ta'if is a high place, maybe 60 miles, 50 miles from Mecca, and he walked there. And when he arrived there, the nobles of that city, the nobles of that city sent out the meaner elements, some urchins and bums and destitute people, to throw rocks at the Prophet and spit at him. And he bled and he cried 
and he sat down on the stump of a tree or on a rock and he was questioning himself why I was not successful in talking to these people. What is it that I'm doing? I'm inefficient. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel alayhi salam to say to him, Oh Muhammad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Salam alayk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to you, Salamu alaykum Muhammad. And he has ordered me to command the angels of the mountains on the two sides of these people to come together like that and crush those people if you want. The Prophet said, no, I don't want that. Let them go. Maybe one day they will be Muslims. Today, Taif is one of the most beautiful places where the flowers grow, where there are no flowers anywhere else. And everyone in Taif today is Muslim. This was the manner of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was a man that one time his daughter Fatima, she was washing her clothes and washing around her house so that her hands became blistered. And Ali, who was her husband, said, Oh Fatima, why don't you go to the Prophet Go to your father and ask him to give you a servant to help you around the house. And Fatima, she didn't want to go. But because Ali told her, Oh Fatima, go ask your father for a servant. So Fatima, she went to the Prophet And when she said, Ya Rasulullah, Ali, he asked me to ask you, can you give me a servant in my house? So the Prophet said to his daughter, Oh Fatima, can I tell you something which would be better for you than a servant? Say subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. And she cried. And she left. Because she understood that she should never have asked him. Because he didn't have any servants. And he was more deserving of a servant than her. He told her, say subhanallah, say glory be to Allah. Glory be to Allah and the praises for him. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah azim. And she said it and she left. This was a man in this world, but always thinking about the hereafter. Because Allah sent to him the ayah, the akhirah is better for you and for everyone else than what is present. When the Prophet wasallam, on one occasion, Aisha radiallahu an, she asked the Prophet wasallam, why? Why do you stand at night until your ankles swell? Oh Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
He said, my Lord feeds me and provides me drink. And he said, should I not be thankful towards my Lord? She said, oh prophet, or someone said, why do you pray so much? You have been pardoned from all your mistakes and you are ma'asum. You don't commit any sins. Why do you have to pray so much? He said, should I not be thankful to my Lord? Such was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was just and he was fair. He didn't give to his family. He didn't distribute to his friends. He didn't make judgment for those who he liked and made judgments against those he didn't like, like the kings, like the presidents, like the chairmen, like the rich people, like the judges of today, and like those who have done it throughout history. No. The Prophet said, people before you were destroyed because when rich people, powerful people, when they committed sins, they let them go. They passed it up. But when poor people and weak people committed sins, they punished them. And so they were destroyed. And he said, Wallahi, if Fatima, my daughter, the daughter of Muhammad, if she stole, I would cut off her hands. This is the kind of man, Muhammad wasallam, that for Allah, and he said, Fatima is like my ribs. That means Fatima is a part of me. I love her as I love myself. But if she stole, I will cut off her hands. This is the kind of judge he was. The kind of father he was. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was the only leader who realized his vision in his own life. He was born in Mecca as an orphan. He was raised in Mecca. He was driven out of Mecca. He was punished, had to flee. He was persecuted. His followers were killed. But Allah allowed him to come back 23 years later as a victor as a conqueror. And when he came back, he gave everyone amnesty. He realized his vision. And after that, the Prophet ﷺ spread his message. He spread Islam throughout the peninsula of Arabia so that Islam became established as a state, as a government. He was the ruler but he was still eating and drinking and dressing the same way that he was doing as he was born and as he grew up. The Prophet ﷺ handed over his life to his Lord. He gave up his life to his Lord and passed on Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 23 years after the revelation came to him. He was 40 when the revelation came. He was 63 when he passed away Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
And the next four men that succeeded him, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Uthman ibn uh, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, and Ali ibn Abi Talib. In those next 32 years, the Muslim frontier spread from the Arabian Peninsula all the way to what is now Italy, all the way to what is now Spain, all the way to what is now West Africa, all the way to what is now Indonesia, all the way to what is now China. This is what Allah manifested from that man and from that message and from that revelation and from that inspiration and that legislation still is in the earth today. And there's not a book that has ever been revealed in this world that anybody can stand up and say, we have preserved the Torah of Musa. If they said it, you liars. You don't know what is the Torah of Musa. It has been lost. It has been changed. You cannot say, I have the Zabur, the Psalms of David. You lie. It has been changed. It has been altered. It has been lost. You cannot say, we have preserved the Bible. You lie. Not even the Pope knows what the Bible is. Not even the 352 organizations or denominations because they don't even agree what the Bible is. And if we took all of their books and threw them in the ocean, along with the Qur'ans, take all the Qur'ans and all the Bibles and all the Torahs and all the Zaburs and all the other books, throw them in the ocean. All the religions would have no way to get their message back. But because Allah caused that revelation that came to Muhammad wasallam, that inspiration that came to Muhammad wasallam, that legislation that is in the world today, every place Muslims gather, there's at least one or two or three that has memorized this book since that time. I ask, let a Muslim, let a Muslim who has memorized the Quran as a tradition from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, please stand up here. Anyone who has memorized the Quran in this room, stand up please. One, two, three, four, five, I have never been anywhere in the world and made that statement where at least one Muslim could not stand up and say, I have memorized the entire Quran. This is the evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said He will preserve it and He has preserved it through the hearts of the believers. That is the message of Muhammad wasallam. That is the evidence of his message. O Muslims and O non-Muslims, the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, was the only Prophet that realized his vision and he became the executive and the law preserver. He was not a law 
giver. No, the law came from Allah, but he was the executive that executed and guarded that law. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he taught the whole of humanity. He passed on his teaching so that the Quran was preserved and his sunnah was preserved. We have with us today books like Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Nasai. We have these books, the Sahih Sitta, among them more than 14,000 documented authentic ahadith from the Prophet that we can trace right back to his mouth that we can trace right back to his behavior that we can trace right back to his approval no one else has a posterity of documentation like that the Prophet established a model of government that lasted from that time all the way to 1924. From that time in the seventh century to 1924. How many centuries is that, Muslims? 1200 years. The model of government lasted of those following the Prophet And that model of government will come back. It will return. It must return. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He chose it and He says, it is he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that sent his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with the deen al-haq. He sent them with the guidance al-Islam and the deen al-haq, al-Islam, the guidance, the sunnah, and deen al-Islam, in order that it may be victorious, that it may be over, that it may be superior, that it may be in a position of leverage over every other system. Even if the unbelievers don't like it, The Prophet ﷺ, without doubt, was the man who brought the most powerful message to this world. A man by the name of Michael J. Hart. He said, and who was Michael Hart? Michael Hart was a contemporary historian a mathematician and he gathered other historians and biographers together and they said let us compile a list of the hundred most profound human beings in history and to make a long story short they made a category they set up 32 different categories by which to compare and produce these hundred most great profound 
human beings. And let me tell you what Michael J. Hart said. He said that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he placed him at the head of his list. And those with him could not dispute it because categorically he earned that position. And Michael J. Hart said, I would have chosen, I would have liked to choose Jesus Christ because I'm a Christian. But there were several categories that honestly I could not choose him because Jesus Christ was not a father. Muhammad he was. Jesus Christ was not a husband. Muhammad he was. Jesus Christ was not a statesman. Muhammad he was. Jesus Christ was not a warrior. Muhammad he was. And Jesus Christ was not a ruler. Muhammad he was. And so Michael J. Hart and his other collaborators, they said, the greatest human being that has impacted history and all annals of documented history, it had to be Muhammad wasallam. And that statement you will find, you will find it in the archives of the Time magazine of the New York Times, the magazine they put out, it's in their archives, you can read it. And in some of the bookstores here in Australia, other places, or you can go on the website and put in Michael Hart, and you will get a website, put it into Google, and you'll get it, and you'll see the evidence there. But let me read to you what some others have said about Muhammad, the man, and his message. George Bernard Shaw said, if a man like Muhammad وسلم, were to assume the dictatorship and rulership of the modern world, he would succeed in solving its problems that would bring it much needed peace and happiness. Michael J. Hart said, My choice is Muhammad to lead the list of the world's most influential persons may surprise some readers and may be questioned by others, but he was the only man in history who was supremely successful on both the religious and secular levels. And Castles Weekly said, in little more than a year, he was actually the spiritual, nominal, and temporal ruler of Medina with his hands on the lever that was to shake the world. Billions of Muslims all over the world throughout the last 1400 years have accepted the religious teachings of Muhammad An illiterate often brought up in the harsh desert climate of Arabia transformed a backward society into a great civilization. O oh, Muslims and non-Muslims, Muhammad, according to the Quran, he was a witness over the believers. He was no more than a messenger. He was a man dealing gently with all people. He was a great favor. He was sent with an irrefutable truth. He was that unlettered prophet. He was a mercy and a messenger. He was a mercy to mankind. 
He was a witness over the believers and the believers a witness over mankind. He was a mercy to the world. He was the best example to follow. He was the last prophet of mankind. He was sent to all the mankind and the jinn. He was victorious over all systems. And he was created on an exalted standard. O Muslims and non-Muslims, there's not a person in the whole of history that can compare with Muhammad Not a Confucius, not Guantama Buddha, not Alexander the Great, not Bonaparte Napoleon, not Julius Caesar, nor Constantine, not Mahatma, not Mahatma Gandhi, not King Richard or King Ferdinand, not Winston Churchill, not Charles Darwin, not Mao Zedong, nor Deng Xiaoping, nor Karl Marx, not Albert Einstein, not Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr., not George Washington, not George, not John F. Kennedy, and certainly not Bill Clinton. Not Tony Blair, nor John Howard, nor George Bush Sr. or George Bush Jr. Not you, not me, not our parents, nor our grandparents, nor any of our ancestors can match this man Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You. To the non-Muslims, I say to you, you will be fortunate, you will be blessed if you have the courage to read about Muhammad Wasallam tonight. Go home and read about Muhammad Wasallam tonight, if you dare. If you're not afraid of change, because if you read about Muhammad with an open heart and an open mind, there's a chance that love for this man and respect for this man will come into your life, come into your heart, come into your mind, come into your family and your home. And you also may want to be a follower of Muhammad And if you should choose to do so, you will never elevate his name. You will never increase any blessings to his ummah, but you will benefit your own selves. And so we invite you to embrace, to understand, to respect that man, Muhammad and his message. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك ونشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت ونستغفرك ونتوب إليك. Dear brothers and sisters and guests, we ask you to remain seated, and we ask you to continue your toleration, so that we can receive some questions if we need to question. In actuality, I have given to you not from myself. I have given to you from 
sources of documentation that is irrefutable. If a non-Muslim has a question about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa we take the question. But for the Muslims, you have no questions. Just say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if there's a question needed, it will come from the non-Muslims. If a non-Muslim wants a clarification about Muhammad sallallahu we give it to them. But for us Muslims, we don't need any questions. The non-Muslim lady, she asked us about the status of women relative to the life and tradition of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Let me refer that to his person. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born of a woman. And every Prophet was born of a woman. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's mother passed away when he was about eight years old. And he fell into the care of a foster mother. Her name was Halima Saadiyah. And Halima Saadiyah took care of the Prophet breastfed him, treated him as her own son. And when the Prophet ﷺ became a man, and he was in Mecca, and the Sa'd tribe, when they came into Mecca, and Halima was with them, the Prophet ﷺ used to stand up at attention, take off his coat, put it on the ground for Halima, for her to sit. And he used to sit in front of her, just like he did when he was a boy. And she was from one of the poorest, most destitute tribes. And this is how he respected his foster mother. The Prophet ﷺ, he used to help his wife in the house, cooking, cleaning, sewing his own clothes, repairing his own shoes. The Prophet ﷺ was ultimately respectful to his wives, never ever cursing them, never ever harming them. And he received revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us Muslims, verily, all of you have been created from one single soul, that is Adam and Hawa, one single soul in the sight of Allah. Be careful of the demands that you make regarding your rights and give reverence to the wombs that gave you life. What wombs? Your grandmothers, your mothers, your sisters, your wives. The Prophet ﷺ said, the best of you is he 
that is the best to his family and I am the best towards my family. The Prophet said, all of you are custodians and Allah will ask you about that which is in your care. The commander of, or the ruler is the custodian of the nation and Allah will ask him about what is in his care. The husband is the custodian of his family and Allah will ask him about what is in his care. And the woman, she is the custodian of her house, the commander of her house in the absence of her husband. And Allah will ask her about what is in her care. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He ordered us that when we marry women, that we must give them a free gift of any amount that they demand. Any amount. If they want a gold mountain, if the man, he doesn't have it, he cannot marry her. Of course, if she asks for a gold mountain, she may not get married. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, my sister, Allah said that men have the obligation of supporting and sustaining women. So it is our duty as men. We're not talking about what all men do, because they don't. All men do not respect women. All men do not support women. All men do not fulfill the obligations of the women. Some men abuse women. Some men disrespect women. Some men think they are better than women. Some men among the Muslims. But this is not what Allah said, nor what the Prophet did. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said is virtually what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. Ar-rijalu kawamuna ala nisa. That men are responsible for women. And what does that mean, my sister? It means, my sister in humanity, it means that if a woman gets married to a Muslim, if she doesn't want to work, she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to work at all. She doesn't have to wash his clothes. She doesn't have to cook his food. She doesn't have to slave for him. She doesn't have to do anything except to the best of her ability, honor him, preserve his integrity, take care of his house, the children, herself, her honor, and be pleasing to him whenever he sees her or calls for her. This is the station. The woman is to be served, is to be taken care of. And even when an inheritance matters, the woman will receive inheritance and never have to spend it. Never have to spend it on her husband, never have to spend it on her son, never have to spend it on her brother, never have to spend it on her uncle, but her uncle, her son, her husband, her grandfather, her father has to spend it on her. So tell me in the long run, who has the money among the Muslims? <laughs> now the fact that some Muslims do not follow that is not the fault of Islam, it is the fault of those Muslims. And so my sister in humanity, I answer you in that way and I hope that that is an acceptable answer to you.
His message was to call humanity to the worshiping of the Creator and to destroy all kinds of injustice in the earth and to establish a character, a paradigm of human conduct for the human beings to follow. Again, I repeat, it was to call humanity to the worshiping, the recognition of the one creator and to turn people away from all kinds of idolatry and to remove human beings away from being under the slave ship or subordination of anyone else and to give human beings a paradigm of behavior and dignity and to remove injustice throughout the world. That was his message. If one reads the Quran, you will see on every page that message comes through on every single page. This is what sets Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, from any other ruler, any other prophet, messenger, individual. And I hope I have addressed that to you, my friend. First of all, the sunnah, it is not uh, something that's written. We are not people of writing. We're not people of ecclesiastics. The sunnah means what the Prophet ﷺ said, and it was memorized and acted upon and preserved. What the Prophet ﷺ did, his actions, which was imitated, memorized, and preserved. And what he approved of, and that was memorized and preserved. Now those things that were written, memorized, preserved, it came in the form of some 60 or 70 thousand documentations from reliable people but those of us from the ummah of the prophet وسلم, who went through all of those 60 or 70 thousand to verify and check to codify to relate to see which was the strongest most reliable that could be traced right back that means perhaps through 23 25 37 different names that could be connected back to the Prophet ﷺ. Among those, we have, alhamdulillah, at least 14,000 that we could say are reasonably, fairly certain, documented sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in the form of what is called hadith. Now this hadith has been preserved for us. And one way that we know how it is preserved, it does not conflict with the Qur'an. And it has been corroborated by hundreds of people. And has been passed down, recited, rehearsed, memorized, codified, brought down to us in this way, preserved like no other documentation. And has been looked at and criticized and critiqued 
by both Muslim and non-Muslim scholars. So this is called the body of Ahadith, which itself translates to us the Sunnah. Now as for the issue of Shia, the dichotomy of Shia and Sunni, this is something different. This is a social political phenomena that has nothing to do with the Sunnah of the Prophet And if you want to know about Shia people, you have to ask them. They have their own books and they have their own documentation. And if they call themselves Shia, they should explain themselves, I am not Shia. <laughs> that this, is, uh, this is in full respect of the man's question. And uh, I say to you this with no defamation upon those who call themselves Shia. It is on them to have to explain what they have and it's upon me to explain what we have. And that's my explanation for you, my friend. Doing all the things that you and I do, and at night, standing in prayer for four or five hours at a time. And in the day, fighting the battles discharging the armies, giving the ahkam and the rulings, explaining the Quran, instructing the people in behavior. How could a man do all of that and stand four or five hours at night at one time? What kind of human being could that be? And let me tell you, after Christopher Columbus came back and claimed that land for King Ferdinand and Isabella, they sent more ships. And within 150 years, they destabilized, massacred, killed, liquidated, eliminated 89 million native Indians, as they called them, to take control of what they call the new world. So we got 56 and we got 89. You keep adding for me, please. How many? 487 million. That's half a billion people. They never defined any of these actions any of these barbaric, tragic, intrusions, criminal, occupations, destabilizations, murder, and protracted crimes on humanity, they never called it, what? Terrorism. It's unbelievable. How a concept could be forced on the world with their eyes wide open and all the lives, all the time that people go to church, read the Bible, talk to their priests, their leaders, themselves, around the dinner table, pray to God with their eyes open or closed and don't understand the Trinity and they accept it that it's simply a mystery that cannot be explained.
The Islamic position regarding that is that generally, generally, the role of men is to protect. Generally. To represent, to protect outwardly. Just like you have never in history heard of an army, uh, I mean a country, going to war against another country and they sent a female regiment. It has never happened. And there's a reason for that. With all the liberation that's gone on, America didn't send no female regiment. Because generally speaking, answering the lady's question, they are equal in front of God, but they are not the same. You see, if a little rat ran across here right now, what would it If it was a man, it's right, right or wrong. And they just got finished praying the morning prayer. So they start planning this bank robbery. Or they call up the lady, or the lady call up the man. They want to meet together. So they said, where should we meet? Oh, well, let's meet after lunch. Well, lunchtime is door time now, prayer time. So, but she said, well, before we go have this... This little meeting that we're going to have, let's pray door first. Pray door. <laughs> so, okay, we pray. So then we had a meeting together. So where are we going from here? Well, we should go to your house or my house. Well, we got to pray. We got to pray that afternoon prayer now. <laughs> so we pray the afternoon prayer. So where are we going? We'll meet at your house. So we, what we're going to do, we take a little drink and we start getting smooching and whatever. So, oh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a sunset prayer. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. So the whole issue of the prayer, the Prophet, the, the Quran says, Inna salata tanha an wal munkar. Is this correct? Verily the prayer is a preventive deterrent against human tendencies towards doing what's wrong. And one day she wake up and she puts on niqab. And she puts her full clothes on. No more lipstick. No more perfume. She doesn't talk to the men. She's not working anymore because she understands to keep her higher, to keep herself. She stays home and take care of her home. And her husband says, what's happened to you? She says, yesterday I read an ayah in the Quran. I read the hadith from the Prophet and it made me cry to think about my religion and I'm not doing that no more. And so he said, then I don't want you. You have become extreme. So she have now become stranger. Alhamdulillah. If he leave her, we ask Allah to give her another stranger. The Muslim neighbor, the Muslim co-worker, the Muslim colleague, they are the ones that are blocking the way for people understanding Islam because people are getting confused. They are confusing Muslims with Islam. And part of us uncovering the treasure sometimes means moving Muslims out of the way. Now that the, the treasure is open and plain and clear and uncovered for anyone to see. 
I ask, are there any non-Muslims here tonight that would like to inherit this treasure? La ilaha illallah.